Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Forward Thinking Podcast by CS2. It's Chrissy here, and I have our guest, Kiara Riga. She's the Marketing Operations Manager at Digital Shadows. And today we're going to be talking about how to be more strategic in MOPS. Um, I, I think this is a great topic. I think also, too, Kiara is coming with us with like us kind of like a use case, an example of how to be more strategic. So we'll we'll talk through that lens. Um, but Kiara is um, a Marketo champion. She was the 20, uh, 2021 champion of the year. Uh, so two-time champion. So, um, you know, has some great marketing ops um, experience and chops. And I thought it would be awesome to have her on the podcast. So welcome, Kiara. Thank you so much for having me. Um, cool. Well, Kiara's uh, also in Santa Cruz, we just found out. So I am, I'm a bit jealous because she's closer to the beach than I am, but I'm still pretty close. So we're going to have to plan a beach day soon. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love a good beach day. Yeah. Okay. So I always ask our guests um, just really quickly, um, you know, how did you get into operations? Because for everyone, it's pretty different. Yeah. So um, I kind of, fell backwards into it. Um, when I was in college, my major was psychology because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And then I studied mm. abroad in Amsterdam and did business classes because by like that was my fourth year of college. And by that point, I was like, I know I want to do business, but it would have been an extra four years to switch my major. And so I just studied a mm. year of business in Amsterdam and like really fell in love with like the marketing side of it. But it was really hard to get a marketing job um, with a psychology degree. And so um, I started looking at like SBR, BDR jobs um, and was hired mm. at my previous company um, for a BDR role. And in my interview, I was very clear that like, I wanted it to like, this was not going to be a stepping stone into sales. I really wanted it to be more of a stepping stone onto the marketing side. And um, my VP, uh, my manager at the time was the VP of marketing. He was super, super responsive um, to that. And on like day three, while I was still training, I had never hit the phone. He was like, Hey, so uh, we need someone to do kind of like operations for the SBR team. Are you interested? And I was like, yeah, of course I am. Um, anything to not be dialing. I mean, <laughs> smiling and dialing really <laughs> is not my forte, but I was willing to put in the work. Um, and yeah, so I started in BDR ops and like really fell in love with kind of the operational side. I think I've always been more of like a statistics kind of brain and not the creative side. And so I was like, this is perfect. And then when someone in, on the marketing operations team left, they brought me in to just like help with webinars. They were like, here's some Marketo access, like help us with webinars. We're swamped until we can get someone in. And at that point I was like, this is amazing. This is what I want to do. And it just kind of snowballed from there. So very thankful for AVP who believed in me and yeah, kind of fell backwards into it and fell in love with it. That's really interesting too, because I, I don't know if it's a coincidence or just like very common, but the last two guests I've had on the podcast, I've had Sean Lane, who's the VP of field operations at Drift, and also one of our guests, Jordan Henderson, who is the director of RevOps at Revenue.io, but they both started in SDR roles and then ended up doing SDR operations and then now are kind of doing what they are today. But I think that it's, it's a good, and also from my experience, I even one time uh, when I was managing a team plucked someone similar to yourself where she was, she was an SDR 
uh, kind of intern, potentially trying to be an SDR. And I'm like, I don't know, you seem like you're more interested in the process. Like maybe you should come on the marketing upside. And it's now is an awesome marketing ops, uh, you know, person. So I, I think that that's, it's a great thing for anyone listening who maybe knows someone, or even if you're in an organization, like some, you know, just because people start in an SDR job or role that, and it, they're actually, you know, could be greatly positioned to be an ops, especially if they have like a brain like yours. Right. And I honestly think it makes me a better marketing ops person because I think yeah. there's always that divide between marketing and sales. And I think I can toe that line better because I started on more of the sales side. And so I kind of have a deeper understanding of the goals of both ends. So I really value that experience that I had on the SDR team. I wouldn't change it. Totally. Yeah. I think that it, I a hundred percent agree with you on it makes you a better ops person. Um, I was always interested in like SDR ops, even when I would like try and spe- like specialize in it. Like once I had my team trained up on everything else, I was like so focused on the SDR team because I think a big part of marketing ops is just making that team really effective, making sales effective too. Um, how, you know, they're the, they're the end of like where a lot of the things you set up you know, goes like you set up scoring, where does, who's that impact? You know, you set up nurturing, who's that impact and a lot of the lead process, life cycle handoffs and so forth. So I think having that empathy and also the understanding of that team just makes you create something that's so much more useful for that internal user. Totally agree. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, I know we want to talk about something important, how to be more strategic in MOPS and I think you, I, I, we talk about this a lot in some capacities, um, either on this podcast or on some of like presentations that we've done. And I think more and more now you see like the importance of marketing operations, but I think it's also really clear. There's a lot that falls on marketing operations. And I think because of that, it can be really challenging for marketing ops folks to like be strategic. You know, mm-hmm. they feel a bit overwhelmed. They feel like they're putting out fires a lot and that all of that can get in the way of being strategic. But um, what do you think are some of like the main things that gets in the way of MOPS folks from being strategic in their roles? And and even for yourself, did you feel like you dealt with some of that and how did you deal with it? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is if you're a centralized org, then getting all those campaigns out like as fast as field marketing wants them out. If you're decentralized, which I am currently, it's, oh, this person screwed up this thing or, you know, not screwed up, but you know what I mean? Like they're not as well-versed in Marketo as we are. And so you kind of get so hung up in the day-to-day that it's hard to come up for air and understand that we are also a strategic function. It's really a unique function, right? Because like field marketing isn't really like a a support function in the way that marketing ops has to be both support and strategy. And the support side always seems to have like priority, but that's also the thing that can be more easily outsourced, right? So I think that's kind of the thing that you have to figure out a balance with. Yeah. So when you say a centralized versus decentralized model, like what about your model today is 
is working? Like, do you also maybe do like a little bit of a hybrid or is it all centralized? Um, so we, at my last job, we were fully centralized. The marketing team had no access to Marketo. It was entirely through marketing ops. This org is almost the opposite. Um, marketing has pretty free reign on it. I am working on reining that back a little with a, a more centralized QA process um, just to catch yeah. errors. And I, I kind of think for an org as small as we are, that's going to be the sweet spot because I'm never going to be able as a one person ops team or marketing ops team, I'm never going to be able to turn out as much as they need me to as quickly as they need me to. But we also want to keep up that um, quality metric. So if I can just have eyes on it before it goes out and then my goal is eventually, you know, one field marketer does something, the other one has eyes on it before it goes out. Just like someone else looking over their work, I think, is my ideal. I don't think any campaign should ever go out with only one set of eyes. No, yeah, I I 100% agree with that. I think that's a good first place to start because uh, we so we call it a hybrid model because I think a lot of people are like, oh, are you going to go decentralized or centralized? And it's like, well, we're a fan of like more of like a decentralized model, but with a layer of marketing ops like QA mm -hmm, exactly. um, or and and then support on the actual campaign operations. I think a lot of the time people call campaign operations and campaign execution like the same thing. But I think an operations person can really like set that framework, build out templates, especially if you're, you know, using Marketo um, and really like the request and QA process how the teams are going to be trained. And then those tr those teams can actually then execute. And I think to your point, if you were just dealing with campaigns all the time, you wouldn't get anything else done. And so you're just churning out campaigns, but not able to focus on your like big strategic rock. So I think that's one good thing that once you do that, you can free up a lot of this time to really focus on strategic work. Exactly. Um, Besides that, do you think that there's anything as far as like, you know, soft skills or things that you do, like now that you have the time to really focus on, uh, you know, your key projects, are there any things that you feel like you do or some people also don't do that has made you in the eyes of everyone too with the organization um, as more strategic? Yeah. So I think the key for me is nobody's going to come to you and say like, Hey, we need this model. You have to figure it out yourself. If you're waiting for people to come to you with a project, it's like, it's never going to come. You're going to end up spinning your wheels and doing just the very basic stuff. And so I think the biggest, biggest key for me is listening in those all hands. Like what is your head of marketing, of sales, of the company saying is your big goal for this next quarter, this next half, mm -hmm. this next year? And how can marketing ops kind of help to, to level that up? And I think once I started doing that and started getting the gears turning of, okay, we're going to be doing this project. Here's how I can support that and bring that to them. That's when people started coming to me and being like, oh, hey, we've got this project going on. Is there anything you can think of that we can kind of make it better with? Um, so I, I think you have to take the initiative because nobody's ever going to do it for you. 
Yes, I think this is very timely too with a podcast I'm listening to right now, like literally on the way to drop off my daughter at daycare on the way back. Um, but it's with uh, Liz Wiseman and she um, she talks about like impact players. Um, and one of the things that she talked about was about self-managing and how that self-managing can make is what makes you a great employee. Um, but part of that is like you, like what you're saying is really paying attention to what's going on in the business. Cause a lot of the time, like we, uh, people will think, oh, well, my boss is just going to tell me what's important to the business or, or I'm going to, she, he or she is going to tell me like, what's their priorities. And it's like, no, like if you're just waiting around for people to tell you what's a priority or tell you what's the business, you know, what's going to make an impact, like you're just not going to be, well, one, you're not going to be strategic, but it's not going to happen really, unless you just have a boss who's really like really focused on managing, um, and giving you that, you know, forcing that information. So I, I love that. I think that that's a really key tip for people is really understand like the goals of the business or the revenue team, the marketing team, um, and then help that dictate like how you're going to, um, you know, decide what projects to work on. Do you, do you have like a roadmap or anything that you create and do you like articulate that back to your marketing team? Yeah. So, um, um we're trying to get better about it. So I report into RevOps and we've got a meeting in a couple okay. of weeks to define like our RevOps roadmap. And I like doing it with my sales ops counterparts because that kind of allows us to be really strategic kind of across the funnel and not just me working in a silo them working in a silo so um yeah that usually happens early in the year we gather all of you know what do people think is going to be important we listen to all of the sales kickoff and things like that and then start putting that into our roadmap I love that I think um yeah, having a roadmap and then, but also not working in a silo. Cause I think for a lot of growth stage orgs too, you're pretty dependent probably on, on sales ops to also help you complete some of this work. So having that alignment will ensure that like, you know, you can do your part, but what happens if you need, you know, your counterpart to execute the rest in Salesforce or whatnot, or maybe they have other joint responsibilities so you can make a bigger project out of it together. Um, so I think that's super important. Even if you don't report as like a RevOps function, I think taking that time and that step to, um, you know, meet and um, discuss each other's roadmaps with other operations functions um, is a really good tip too. Right. And that's um, so key. Like at my last org, yeah. I remember we would have times where like, I would um, have a project that's almost ready to go out and I just need this one thing in Salesforce mm-hmm. and then the whole project stops because uh, sales yeah. ops is focused on something else. And so that looks bad on you. It, like it kind of, it looks bad on everyone. So I think just the more collaboration you can have, the better. Yeah. And honestly, it has sometimes happens even when you have a RevOps function. It just also means that you're not really maybe communicating or resource planning enough. Um something that we're kind of forced into doing at an agency, especially when you have supporting functions, this is like resource planning, really trying to figure out, okay, this is our roadmap for the client. This is where we might need the help. And this is where the time might be. And even then it's hard to get like perfect because there's other roadblocks that we maybe don't know about. But to your point, 
I think you don't want just that one final thing to get in the way of you delivering on your project. So the more proactive you can be at like getting your ducks in a row, making sure those people know like what maybe needs to be done. And also it, it ensures that they're going to maybe be more helpful in the future too, right? Because because what people don't like is surprises or people don't like like last minute things like thrown on their plate. And because they feel a bit like, well, you know, you should have let me know. Um, and so I think that it just means that they'll maybe be more likely and more up for helping you in the future. Well, right. And like, think about when a field marketer comes to us with a last minute request of, I need this event out today. And I'm just telling you today, like, we all know how that feels and it sucks, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so we actually, I mean, part of it is just because I report to RevOps, but I meet with sales ops on a weekly basis and we go over everything that applies to both teams. And I mean, if you don't report into what rev ops weekly might be a lot, but even bi-weekly or monthly, having a cadence to sit down and say like, here are the things that are coming down the pipe. Here's where I might need your help with. Here's what it entails. And a lot of the times it'll be like, okay, well, we don't have bandwidth for that, but I'll loop you in directly with our consultant. And that's awesome. Like, I, that's all I need, you know, but if I'm coming to yeah. them last minute for it, that's, it's not going to be the same answer. Yeah, I love, I love that too. I think that's part of having that, like, uh, that ownership and the, uh, it really sounds like you're owning like your function because then you're working cross-functionally effective, effectively. And, um, I think having those weekly meetings, yes, it's another meeting, but if it's effective and it's going to make sure that everyone's aligned and your resources are planned out, that's a good meeting. And then you can maybe decide like what other meetings don't need to be on your calendar, which there's probably a lot. Right. And it's, <laughs> um, I mean, for us, it's almost a stand up of just, here's what I'm working on. Here's what I'm going to need your help with. And it, you know, it can be 15 minutes depending on the size of your team. It doesn't have to take up a ton of time. Yeah. This is all really great ideas on how to be more strategic. And I think even just focusing on that, like, clearing, you know, clearing your space where you're not having to just, you know, spin out campaigns all day. Um, you know, working, like having a roadmap that's shared with the other operations team and then figuring out a cadence where you can give updates or plan out your resources with other operators and sometimes even marketing, like maybe it's doing something with MTU, I think, uh, are all just things that, then get you elevated instead of just being that person who's just executing heads down, just churning out campaigns. You're really now looked at as a, a strategic function for the marketing team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So one thing that I wanted to chat through was you gave a great example of a project that came up at, at digital shadows. And that was around, um, product scoring. And also it then spin, spun up into some other strategic projects. But could you give a little bit of background on that use case? So like one, how did you find out about the business objective um, that you then prioritized? And then two, who did you work with to really identify like, oh, this could be a cool feature that we could create to support this new go-to-market strategy? Yeah. So um, I forget where I first heard it, but I remember I, it was probably on a, a big sales and marketing call. And I remember my mm -hmm. boss coming to me and saying, you know, um, 
we're thinking about splitting our product up into different use cases. So it'll be the same products, but it'll just be kind of packaged differently. And my gears started turning, right? This is where nobody's coming to you with the strategic project, but you can be really useful. And I was like, okay, I know how to do product interest scoring. Could I apply this to use cases? And then I came, I, I, you know, when we had that first conversation, it was like, okay, well, let me think about it. And then at our next one-on-one, it was like, okay, so I think we can do like, let me know the list of use cases. And here's exactly how I would deploy like a use case scoring model that we can then use. We can send it to BDRs so that they are, you know, marketing and trying to sell with that use case that they know that people are really interested in our product for. And then sales can have a more targeted pitch as well, because we're giving this information all the way down the funnel. Um, and yeah. she was super receptive to that. I am very lucky to have a, an incredibly supportive manager. Um, and we brought it to marketing who also loved it. And then we just kind of started working on it. And um, yeah, now we have a pretty great use case interest scoring model. It's seen a couple of iterations and it's also spun into its own nurture journey, which actually doubled our conversions for the past year since it's been up. So um, it's it was a really huge project that just came from like a little sound bite. Um, and I would also suggest, I mean, if you're a Marketo user or whatever kind of user, like really go get involved with the communities, right? Get, yeah. you know, talk to other users, see what they're working on. Because I, I think I heard about product interest scoring like on the Marketo community like pages or something, you know, and that's not yeah. something I would have thought of otherwise. So I think that's the other key piece of being strategic is like finding those sound bites of where can I be useful? And then also finding from the community, what are these strategies in the system that I want to, uh, you know, might be useful for me, maybe in a different way. Totally. I think, um, yeah, like definitely keeping in touch with communities, being part of some communities. I think always keep, like you said, like keeping your like ears to the <laughs> ground kind of per se, but like you get some really cool ideas, just even listening to some other users of what they're doing. And yes, you may not implement that then, but it just can help you connect a feature or solution to a problem, which is what you did. And, and that's one thing that I want to um, first uh, like build upon, but you know, you heard a business problem. It wasn't even a problem. It was just a new initiative, right? But it was a something that they were really focused on. And then you proactively said, okay, I think there's this feature that we can do. And you said that you have a really supportive manager. And I think one thing your manager is supportive is because you heard something and then you came up with an idea for a solution. That's all things that managers want to hear, right? Of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but good for her for letting you have that breathing room to explore that. Um, so once you came up with the idea of doing product interest scoring, who did you work with? Like cross-functionally, like how did, and, and I love that you said we did iterations. One thing I think people also do is they throw something out of the world and they're like, oh, we don't need to like revisit this for another three years. It's like, no, everything should be iterated. Like, honestly, once you deliver something new, like scoring, you're really in beta and like, you need to be taking that feedback and research, but 
tell me about that process. Like how did you first come up with like the product interest scorings and like the le- like the levers? Did you do more of that research did yourself? Did you work with like your product marketing team? How did that look? Yeah, so I worked pretty closely with product marketing and field marketing. The product marketing was kind of for offers and website pieces to help me sort them into buckets. And then field marketing was doing that for the campaigns that they run. If it wasn't immediately obvious in the program name, they were kind of helping me sort through that. And we had so many programs. So that was a beast. Um, And then once that was all sorted and the framework was all built, then I started working with the sales and sales management team to understand, okay, how is this information going to be valuable to the sales team? What's the best way to display it to the sales team and things like that. And then, you know, marketing helps me too to define like point values um, for all of this stuff. And that was one of the things that we really iterated on was um, we started having this mirror our existing scoring model. So if uh, visiting a webinar, like watching one of our webinars is 40 points in our regular like AQL, MQL scoring, then it was also 40 points in the use case scoring. And then we kind of realized that sales would look at those numbers and be like, I don't know what the heck any of this means. And so we, in the second iteration, um, wiped all the scores and started making each thing that they interacted with just one point. So then you can see if their use case is one point, is is three points that means they interacted with three different things within that use case and that was a lot more clear to sales in order to help them kind of understand what what this information actually meant and made it more actionable and we just kind of kept going from there I love that I think uh thinking about your external or your internal users um taking the actions of your external users and then also then distilling that back to them and saying okay Let's put this into a a format that you really understand. Because I think a lot of time in operations, we things maybe seem simple to us. We're like, oh, that, but like, you know what 40 means. Like, I'll send you this spreadsheet with like 20 line items and then you could just go through and look at it, <laughs> you know? It's just like, no, the people don't work that way, one. And like, it's just information overload. So like, you know, distill it down. It needs to be instant for them to figure out in seconds, milliseconds, really. Right. And I am so guilty of that because I'm like so in the weeds in Marketo's that I'm talking all of this technical language and everyone's like, I need you to take 10 steps back for me. Um, (laughs) And so I think sitting down with people, you know, I think a pitfall I see people fall into a lot is marketing sends a bunch of leads over to BDRs. Mm -hmm. Don't give them enough contact or don't give them what they need. And then it's like, oh, the BDRs suck. They're not following up on our stuff. When really, like, Uh there's a disconnect there because BDRs want warm leads. They're not trying to, like, prove marketing sucks. We're all in the same engine. And so if BDRs aren't following up, meet with their management. What, like, is your goal conflicting with theirs? How do we make them work together? Um, You know, how can I display this information so that it's more valuable for them? Like, I think all of this has to be cross-functional. And this is where I say, you know, my time on the BDR team really helps me as a marketing ops person, because I think I see that funnel further down and understand that BDRs aren't as technical as we are. They're not going to look at a dashboard and understand what it means. They want information about that one person. And so I think just finding those disconnects. I mean, I got way off topic from your question, but I just think this is a really important piece. um, Uh, Yeah. Yeah, no, this... 
I, this is exactly what I was trying to get at is like you, well, one, you're taking into a few different teams into this project, right? You're talking with marketing, you're talking to product marketing. I think it's really easy for a marketing ops person to be like, well, oh, I saw this is how you do scoring. So I'm just going to take all our actions and I'm going to try and figure out, you know, what product it's tied to because I, I can see our product pages and things like that. And, and then, and then. I'll just roll out this scoring and then I'll send, you know, maybe do a short presentation or I'll send an email to the SDR team and, and then they're going to start using it. It's like, wow, no. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like, but the more people you can meet with to make your model more effective and make sense, but also then ensure that whoever is using this model really understands it and knows how to make it useful, the more effective. And it's worth that time put into it because I think too with ops teams like yes we're really busy but really big impact things can make a huge difference it can it can save you time down the line it can save you emails it can save you those slacks why did this mql what is this or what's this score what does 40 mean you know something like that those are all things that take us away from then working on even more strategic things right so I think taking that initial time to bring in all your different key stakeholders and inputs, because one thing too, that a lot of people don't like is not being involved. Mm -hmm. And when they do find out they're not involved, they're like, well, I'm going to make myself involved now and I'm going to nitpick what you just did, yes. you know? Yes. And, and how frustrating is that? <laughs> right. And I think it also helps because when you first, like if you're someone who's going from a very tactical marketing ops person to a, trying to be more strategic you're going to have mm -hmm. like a spotlight on you and you have to prove yeah. out your value. And so if you're doing what mm -hmm. you're doing in a silo, you're not including sales, it's not going to be as successful as it could. It might not be successful, period. And if your first project is a flop, it's going to be a lot harder for you to then, and, and sometimes these things will flop, but if you've included everyone and everyone said this has value and here's what we want to see, and you try and take that all into account, that's going to help you continue to be more strategic down the line. Totally. So you, you mentioned that um, you had iterations on the project and then it spun out into a nurture. Mm -hmm. um, how did, what iterations did you, or how did you come up with gathering that feedback and um, from your, from the team to make those iterations? And then what did, based on some of the feedback is, or from, how did the, well, let's start there. How did you gather your feedback to make some iterations? Yeah. So um, I think kind of the trigger point for that was pretty basic for us. I was able, like our use cases changed. So I had to change the oh, model. Okay. And so that was kind yep. of an easy point for me to be like, okay, do we keep everything the same and just change the use cases? No, we should probably talk to everyone and make sure that what we're doing is working. And that was when we kind of spoke to sales leadership and they were like, I, I don't know what these point values mean. So we're not using it. It's like, okay, well then we'll change it to one point. Right. Um, so I think that was a really easy trigger point. But I think if you don't have something like that, just do a quarterly or half yearly, right? Have a cadence of this is how often I evaluate it. Like for my regular AQL scoring, at least once a year, but hopefully twice, I look over it. I make sure that like the stuff is working, like nothing is set it and forget it in off. 
right? So that's kind of, totally. I, I would have a cadence for it and then just re-involve the stakeholders. Um, for bigger projects, I like to send out like anonymous surveys so people can be like really uh, brutally honest. But for something small, like the scoring, it was easy to just be like, hey, are you, your team's leveraging this and how? I love the surveying idea. That's something that we're starting to incorporate more now into our client structure too, and have even different surveys based on the user, like whether it's a marketing user, sales user and stuff like that. Cause they think that feedback and, but also gives you like some research. Okay. We're finding that STRs are reporting this or, you know, the management's reporting this and um, you can take all of that to then figure out, okay, should our next quarter's roadmap include an iteration or what would that be? It just helps you. It's just also prioritizing uh, your future features and roadmap. Totally. Yeah. Um, so one thing that's cool is that it, it, you talked about, you ended up spinning up a nurture and then the, the results from that, you said, you know, we were able to increase our, you know, double our conversion rates, um, you know, what was the process of measuring that? Like, cause I think that's really important too. I think a lot of the time Mots folks, we never really go back to our projects and really measure the effectiveness. So one, how did you think to do that? Or do you always do that with a project? And then how do you communicate that out to like your stakeholders or your boss or, the, or even the company? Cause I think that's a super important metric or seeing that success is super important to get out there into the company. Yeah. So, um, I think with the nurture, it was pretty straightforward to measure, right? We took a baseline of, I think, did we do the past six months or the past year? I don't remember, but we took a benchmark okay. of our email conversions for what this new nurture would be replacing. And so we're saying, and those were all um, individual emails that the marketing team would make really targeted emails in order to send. And so they were doing like taking time out of their day to do that. And so we had that benchmark. And then I started recording just on a week and, and we're looking mostly at like conversion. So like clicks on that main CPA that we're looking for. Um, and then we also kind of look at unsubscribes and opens, but conversions is our main metric. Um, and we, we took like every month I go in and I update a big spreadsheet of like where we're at and it's color coded of did this go down month over month. I also have the first cast in there and then I do it like globally. I'll split it out regionally and compare all of that against the benchmark. And so that way we can, like, I think that helps give us um, some really good context, right? Because if, you know, something could fall month over month, but if it's still double where it was a year ago, it's like, we're still on the right track. And it's not like we need to totally. scrap everything and move on. It's just, you know, do we need to try different send time or things like that, you know? Um, so yeah. yeah, I think that's really huge in terms of communication. Um, I have a meeting with the field marketing team who helps me with the content of this, um, every month. And we look at what went down, what went up. We look at a stream level. We look at a touch level. We look regionally. We kind of try and do a really both micro and macro view of this so that we can talk about how we, you know, this piece of content really isn't performing. We're going to swap it out for this. Um, this task has tons of people who have exhausted content. Let's boost it up. 
this dream, I mean. Um, so things like that. Um, and then I try and just anytime it comes up, like with nurture or just emails in general, it's like, hey, yeah, this this nurture is really actually performing really well. And here I've got this spreadsheet of like all of the statistics that I could possibly give you about how well this nurture is performing. Because I think I personally, I don't know if this is all mops people, I'm like not the greatest at like tooting my own horn. Um, so I think that's a really important thing for us to be good about for disability's sake. Um, and then in terms of, you know, sharing it out to the company, I have a really supportive manager who shares it to her manager and that kind of gets up there. So I don't have a ton of um, uh, advice for sharing beyond like the the really close team, but I think that's where you start. Yeah, I think the revenue team is like the place to start your marketing team. Um, and I think that, you know, for any boss, like someone being proactive to actually show the success of their programs is is even better than just like completing it. It's like, yes, you completed that, but like what's happening with it? Like what's the success? Cause those are all things that they can then take to report back to like their leadership, like you said. And so I think that that, even if you feel like, Oh, well, I'll, you know, I don't have the platform to talk to all of sales or the whole revenue team. I think just working with your manager, your boss, or, or, you know, whoever you report to, to deliver that. And then they like, oh, maybe there's something we can share this across the marketing team is a good step. Totally. Okay. So, um, final question related to this, but for folks who are looking to be more strategic, what is like just one or two areas or things that they can do or should do like today? or start thinking about doing today? Yeah, so keep your ear to the ground, understand where pain points are, those can be easy fixes. Um, Understand where your company is going and where your revenue org is going. Um, I think that is the biggest, biggest key for you. So so trying to understand all of that. Um, And then also be included into the community so that you have those ideas rolling around in the back of your head for um, when these pain points or these new strategies come up. I think for me has been what's been the most, most helpful. Yeah. That's awesome. And you get meet some awesome people in communities too. Yes. The chant Uh, group I cannot speak more highly of, but really the whole Marcado community as a whole is incredible. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Well, um, this is great. I think all really good advice, um, Kiara. So thank you so much. One thing I wanted to end with is just give you a chance to talk about um, a podcast that you help support as a nonprofit. Um, one of the ways that I was actually introduced to you is um, just an article that you wrote about, you know, living with cancer. And I think, you know, I think it would it's something that touches everyone in some capacity. So yeah, I would love for you to talk about um, that podcast and, and what you're doing there. Yeah. So um, I work as a volunteer with a nonprofit called Be Present. We are focused on helping all adolescents and young adults touched by cancer feel supported. So um, I co-host their podcast. It's called the support report with Be Present. And um 
it's really great. We have guests on, we talk all about how to be a better supporter of someone with cancer. And I really think it crosses into chronic illness or just really when anything happens to someone you love. So I think there's really um, some great information there. If you have anyone touched by cancer or chronic illness, um, it's, it's definitely worth a listen. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that you're even um, just through your article that you've been and just listening to you now, like you're a huge inspiration, at least to me and my team was all really inspired by you. And I think your story and and living with something that can be very scary, but doing the amazing things that you do in your job every day to support other people, like, is just so noteworthy and something that I think people can, you know, when they're feeling like waking up, not feeling inspired, like, you know, make a difference in the day. Like that's what's worth living for, I think. So I just want to say thank you as well for being an inspiration. Oh, thank you so much. That's so nice. (laughs) Well, I hope everyone enjoyed this um, episode of Forward Thinking. It's probably our number one thing that people should listen to in MOPS right now. How do you be more strategic? And looking that through the lens of how you can actually do that tactically through a project has been incredible. So thank you again, Kiara. We'll be linking out to um, Kiara's LinkedIn so you could follow her there and stay connected. And definitely check out the Marketo Champion community that um, Kiara is a part of. Um, and a lot of other amazing folks there. So if you enjoy this podcast, feel free to share it with your colleagues and friends. It's on all of your uh, major podcast players. And if you also enjoyed it, leave a leave a note for us, leave a review. Uh, we'll uh, help support us. So thanks so much, Kiara. And thank you, everyone. We'll see you on the next episode of Forward Thinking. Have a good one. 